Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, folks, to a Let's turn that music off there. Welcome, folks, to the Stone and Dial Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and uh, yeah, I got a couple of uh, things I'm going to do today. As I had mentioned on my Facebook page, I I really didn't have a topic per se, so I asked you to send me some questions in, which I have here. And one of them was to tell some of my uh, war stories, which I I know I've done a show on that before, but I have a few additional. Uh, stories I'd like to tell. But before we get to that, um, let me first, uh, a couple of announcements. My seminar uh, coming up in January of next year, which is the Stone and Tile Inspection and Troubleshooting Seminar, is just about full. Um, I've got two slots left open. I'm waiting on some calls. Uh, If you want to get in, I would recommend you do it as quickly as possible. The best way would be to give me a call on my cell, which is 321-514-6845, or send me an email to fhuston at gmail.com, and that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. We can go ahead and uh, get you registered. Um, If it does get full, uh, I will take uh, people's names for uh, the next seminar that I'm going to do right now. I only do these about once a year. Sometimes I'll add a second one in there. It's just going to depend on the um, who's actually interested in, in doing it. If I can get you know, a minimum of four people, I will do another one sooner than that. But right now, uh, the seminar in January is nearly full. Uh, if you haven't uh, got your registration in, I, like I said, I have a few openings left, but they're, they're filling up pretty quick, especially here uh, in, this, in this past week. So, excuse me. A uh, second announcement I have is that I've been doing these shows Wednesday night at 6 p.m. on Eastern Standard Time. Um, and I'm thinking about maybe switching the day <clears throat> or the time. Excuse me. This <clears throat> I'm over here by the red tide on the on the East Coast, and I think uh, starting to affect my cough here. I apologize for that. But anyway, if anybody has any suggestions for a new show time, I may go ahead and keep it here on Wednesday at 6 p.m., but um, – uh, I know a lot of you are out there working. A lot of you listen from the West Coast, so it's 3 o'clock out there on the West Coast time. Uh, send me an email as well and, and let me know if you prefer a different time, and I'll collect all those, and we'll take a look at it. And uh, if I decide to do it at a different time, we'll we'll make that announcement on my Facebook page, which, by the way, uh, all my announcements are pretty much on Facebook. I do put them on Twitter. I do put them on LinkedIn. Um, haven't quite gotten to Instagram or any of those other other ones yet. Uh, I guess I better look into that as well. But uh, anyway, if you want to go to my Facebook page, uh, it's under Stone Forensics. Just go ahead and type in Stone Forensics in the search engine and you can get to my page. And uh, there I make all my announcements for the shows. Uh, As I had mentioned before, every Friday I have what we call a failure Friday, which we, you know, show a photograph of a particular failure and we get comments and feedback from everybody that's looking at that. So it's kind of a fun thing to do. And I know a lot of you guys out there uh, like the failure Fridays and some of them are are pretty interesting. 
All right, let's get to some of your questions. Last week's show, we talked about crystallization, recrystallization, vitrification, all the same thing. And uh, if you haven't listened to that show, go back back into the archives and uh, listen to that show. I, I thought it was a great show. I've got a lot of good comments on it. But there was a few things that I forgot to mention. And actually, these questions came up after the fact. And, you know, one of them was, you know, how do I know if a floor has been crystallized or not? Like, you know, let's say you go onto a job site and you look at the floor and they won't give you the proper information as to whales polishing. How are there some, uh, first of all, are there some tests that can be done and can you tell by looking at it? And the answer to that is yes and possibly and, and maybe. So let me tell you what I do when I examine a floor and try to determine whether it's been crystallized or not. First of all, if it's been heavily crystallized, it will generally have what I call a wavy plastic acrylic look, if you will. It just doesn't have that clear, crisp, crisp, you know, 10 foot shine on the floor. That's one giveaway. The second giveaway, if you catch it at the right light, now you can bring a, a halogen light with you and just kind of shine it on the floor. You can actually see in, in a lot of cases, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, you can see the swirl marks that were left by the steel wool. That's another indication that the floor has been crystallized. Now, as far as a test goes, a test that I use is nothing more than a simple magnet. Remember, crystallization is done for the most part with steel wool. And when you use steel wool, you end up with steel wool fibers. Now, I don't care how well you vacuum up those fibers. There's going to be fibers that are going to be trapped along the baseboards. It might be under a piece of furniture. So just basically take a magnet and run that magnet in areas where you wouldn't think you could clean up, you know, under a piece of furniture, up against the baseboards, under a door, next to a closet, uh, something of that matter. And uh, if you pick up steel wool fibers, it's pretty good, uh, pretty good clue that the floor has been, been crystallized. Now, along that same topic, I don't think we discussed this last week, is can you strip off the existing crystallization? And the answer to that is you can't chemically strip it off, although you could flood it with acid, but I don't recommend doing that. Um, but uh, you can grind it off. And uh, sometimes I've, I've seen it come off with simple polishing powders, like a 5X polishing powder. Other times you've got to get a little bit more aggressive, maybe a 120 grit. You can remove the crystallization and then go ahead and uh, and repolish it, if you will, with your with your 5x powder, your diamonds, or whoever you want to achieve that polish. So, uh, those are the questions I got that I think I forgot to uh, answer on the uh, the last week's show. If you've got any during this show uh, or even after this show, then uh, go ahead and either send me an email. Again, the email is f houston f h u e s t o n at gmail.com or if you want to call in live now if you're listening live the call in number is 323-870-3968 that's 323-870-3968 and I'd be happy to take your questions not only on crystallization but anything basically that has to do with stone and tile uh, issues which brings me to uh, my next question that I, that I received an email. Actually, I've gotten two or three of these in the past week, and they happen to be on Black Absolute. Uh, one of them was on a countertop, uh, and another one of them was on it was on a fountain, and they both had a a haze, a, a whitish haze. Uh, now that didn't come from polishing; it came they, it already existed. So you know what could be going on there? Well, we've got two issues. We've got the countertop. 
and we have the, the fountain. Let's take the fountain. First of all, on the fountain, you've probably got a water issue. Uh, water is probably being deposited uh, on the surface of the black absolute. Uh, and what happens with, with water, especially if the water is hard, which it generally is, is the salts in the water, the calcium, magnesium, or whatever, they actually deposit within the pores of the, of the, of the stone, and you end up getting that, that haze, that, that, haze that, that uh, you get. Now, what I told this individual is if he didn't want to hone it, and if he didn't want to polish it and bring it back to its natural, natural color, he could probably use a color enhancer on it. And I say that with a little caution because those of you that know me know I'm not really a big fan of using sealers of any type or color enhancers on exterior stone. But in this case, it will bring the color back, but I would warn my customer if I'm doing that that it's only going to be temporary. Uh, it may last a couple of months. It may last a year. Uh, depending on the environment, depending on what state it is, depending on how much sun it's getting, uh, most of those color enhancers will break down. And there's many of them out there. I mean, you've got the old Trudent Tribe, you know, 10X Ager, 10X Tiger. Uh, there's several there. Aquamix has one called Enrich and Seal. Akimi now has one. Um, and then there, there's some coatings that are available out there that are designed for uh, exterior surfaces as well. But uh, again, uh, I don't know if I've... I've hampered on this before and one of my other shows, but you know, the reason I'm not a big fan of using any kind of sealer, whether it's an impregnator or whether it's a topical coating on an exterior stone is that you're always going to have moisture present. And even though I know you're going to say, well, you know, these impregnators, they breathe, they, you know, they transpire, you know, whatever you want to say, they still will reduce the amount of water that's going to, try to escape through the stone. Now, remember with these sealers that, that claim to be breathable, uh, they're breathable by vapor, not by water. So in other words, you know, the water would have to evaporate and in an exterior situation, you might not have that. And I, I've, seen, I've seen some major issues uh, with uh, impregnating an exterior stone that wasn't dried properly and it'll spall, it'll flake, it'll exfoliate. And, you know, if you come to my seminar in January, you're going to see a ton of examples of, of what can happen and, and how that works. So uh, I, I'm not saying don't do it because I don't want to get into a debate or an argument as to whether, you know, you can or can't do it. But, you know, there are some things that you have to be extremely careful with. And the first being I've already mentioned is the stone has to be dry. And in some environments, that's almost impossible to, to get in an exterior environment as well. Okay, so the second issue, and by the way, that's really not that the hazing, I know I said efflorescence in the beginning, but it's really not an efflorescence problem. Uh, if you have an efflorescence problem, that's a whole nother subject. That means you have moisture penetrating that stone, water is coming to the surface and depositing salts on the surface of the stone. And generally, true efflorescence you can wipe off with your hands in other words you can you know take a, a black rag and wipe it and you can see a powder now you will get a condition known as subfluorescence where those salts will actually deposit below the surface of the stone in that case they're not going to wipe off and you know again i would be checking for on an exterior fountain you know what's happening here is it is it water uh, sitting on the surface is, is there a leak in the fountain you know what's you know one of my favorite things is is you, you know the cause the why you know why is this occurring do you do some research do some investigation and determine because whatever you 
prescribe as the band as the solution might only be a band-aid solution and not a permanent fix. And and quite honestly, there might not be a permanent fix. I mean, you know, I've seen fountains where there's stone being used on it, and I scratch my head and I'm like, why in the heck did they use this particular type of stone? On this fountain, you know, marble, for example, or even worse, limestone being used in a fountain, you know, where water's pouring over. It's going to erode. Don't believe me? Go look at the Grand Canyon. Uh, it was just there. I mean, there's a perfect example of how limestone can, can erode. Uh, water will do that, folks. All right. Let's look at the hazing that's occurring on the countertop. And there's several things that can happen with a black absolute countertop where you get a whitish discoloration. The very first thing that comes to mind is that the material has been dyed. And I know I've covered this on other shows. It's been a problem for years, and it's still a big, big problem. And that is a lot of black granites are being brought into the country, and they contain dyes. They contain black dyes that eventually wear off. Now, once that occurs, uh, I'm going to tell you how to test for that in a second. But once that occurs, there's not a lot you can do because that deep black color, if it's dyed, is probably not the true color of that particular stone. It's probably a grayish, uh, sometimes even a blackish brown, uh, but it's not that, that deep, dark, uh, true black absolute color that you see with premium black absolute uh, granites. So how do you know? I mean, how do we know we're testing for a dye? Uh, and and this, this, is, this is my little trick that, that I've used in the past, which works 90% of the time. There's always those situations where, you know, a particular dye is used where this technique will not work, but this is what you need. You need two chemicals. First of all, you need acetone as your first chemical. And the second chemical you need is MEK, methyl ethyl ketone. You can pick these up at Home Depot, Lowe's, your hardware store, uh, any, any place you buy paint supplies, you can find MEK and acetone. You take a clean white rag, and the first thing you want to do is take the acetone, pour a little acetone on the rag, and wipe the stone. And then look at the rag. If you get color transfer, if you see black, if you see brown, if you see any kind of color transfer on that rag, you probably have a dyed countertop. I sound like Jeff Foxworthy. If you're a dyed countertop, uh, the second thing you want to do is take, the, take a fresh new rag. Don't use the same rag. Take the MEK in a different spot, pour it on, on the rag, wipe an area, and again, look at it and see if you get color transfer. If you get color transfer you might have a dyed countertop. Um, the reason we use two chemicals is that acetone will remove some dyes where acetone won't, but MEK will. So you're kind of hitting it from po both, uh, both, both issues there. Um, and I would give that a try. If that's the case, there's not a lot you can do. Uh, I know 10X now sells a dye that you can re-dye the countertop. That may be uh, your best option is to go ahead and re-dye the countertop and just, you know, let the, con the customer know that this is what you have. You have a dyed countertop. Uh, you obviously want to test it first in a small area to make sure the dye is compatible, to make sure it penetrates. Uh, a lot of times, if you're using any kind of dye and it reacts with dyes that are already there, because there's all kinds of dyes that are used, anywhere from you know, proprietary dyes to things like charcoal. Uh, someone told me one time that uh, they were even actually using animal urine mixed with charcoal and some other things to dye some of these some of these slabs. And I actually have some really interesting uh, photographs that I show in my seminars that shows how uh, some of the materials are dyed, uh, especially in India. But India does it, China does it. So 
just just be cautious. You know, your restoration contractors out there as well as your fabricators are going to run into this problem. Uh, if you're a fabricator, what I would suggest you do, obviously, is uh, test your stone, test your slabs before they even get taken off the truck. If they're died, send them send them back. If you're a restoration contractor, well, the only option you have is to go in there, test it, and determine whether they are died. And if they are, uh, just go ahead and uh, and and redye them. And again, explaining uh, to your customer what it is. All right, uh, folks. If you have any questions before I move on here, uh, let me give out the phone number one more time: three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. That's three two three. Eight seven zero three nine six eight and call in with your question. And again, anything that has to do with stone or tile, uh, concrete, uh, whatever, basically any hard surface, uh, I'll try to answer your question. And you know, I always say if I can't answer the question, um, I'll make one up. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll find out the an answer for you. Uh, if you're a little shy about talking on the radio, then go ahead and send me an instant message on my Facebook page. Again, it's Stone Forensics. Just search for Stone Forensics and uh, send me an instant message. I have my cell phone right next to me with my Facebook page open. Or if you'd like to send me an email, it's fhouston at gmail.com. Uh, all right, let me move on. And uh, another question that came in, and, and I know I've covered this before, but it is definitely worth repeating. And that is, I actually did a whole show on the difference between uh, quartz surfaces, quartz sites. And one of the things that's, that's happening, and I see this a lot, uh, especially with fabricators, there's a lot of material out there being sold as quartz site. You know, whether you know it or not as a fabricator, but your distributor should know better, uh, that are really not true quartzites. Uh, they're marbles. And we get this question on, on a regular basis where, you know, you get these soft so-called quote-unquote quartzites that are etching. Well, folks, if it's true quartzite, what is quartzite? It's quartz. Quartz does not etch with acids. Uh, so if your countertop is etching and you have a quartzite, you don't have a quartzite. Uh, you have you have a marble. So um, you need to be very careful. Again, you fabricators out there, test them. You know, just take a little bit of acid. If you don't want to take acid, take a lemon wedge. It's, you know, we call it the old lemon wedge, the lemon test. Just take a wedge of lemon, place it on the countertop for a minute, and remove it. If it etched it, guess what? It has calcium there. Uh, you don't you don't want it. You know, uh, what's that one out there that I see a lot? Super white, I think it's called. And it goes by a, a, a ton of other names. But, the you know, the white quartzites, uh, a lot of those aren't really true quartzites per se. They're 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 actual marble. So, you know, be very, very careful. All right. Before I get to my war stories, let me go through some of my other questions here real quick. And again, some of these I've covered in the past, but they're, they're questions that come up again and again and again. And this one actually came from a consumer who was arguing with a fabricator on his countertop being cracked. And he wanted to know, you know, the fabricators tell him, well, that's not a crack. That's a fissure. And he thinks it's a crack. And I get a telephone call and, you know, is it a crack or is it a fissure? You know, a lot of times uh, a photograph won't won't tell you, uh, and sometimes it will. I mean, if you look at the suspected crack and it's running and cleaving a, a mineral uh, in half, chances are it's probably a crack. Uh, not all the time. I mean, you know, one of the things with geology here, and this is what we're dealing here when we're dealing with natural materials, is that, you know, we're dealing with, with Mother Nature here. So all kinds of funky things things can happen. So, you know, how do you tell? How how do you tell it's a crack versus a fissure? 
Um, well, first of all, I don't like to use the word fissure because if you look up the word fissure in, in geology, fissure is defined as a crack. So, you know, you, you can <laughs> you, you can split hairs here if you want, and uh, someone could say, well, a fissure is a crack, so therefore it's a crack. I like using the word a natural inclusion, uh, which simply means it's natural. It's part of the stone. So, you know, looking at it, and when I say looking at it, when you're there, when you're there live, how can you tell you're dealing with a crack or you're dealing with a, with a with a natural inclusion? And it's simple. Take your fingernail and run it across the suspected crack. If one side is higher than the other, then it indicates that it probably wasn't installed properly or a crack during installation or whatever. It's probably a crack. If you can feel it, it's probably a crack. If you run your fingernail across there and it doesn't catch, it feels nice and smooth, chances are it's a natural inclusion. Is it a 100% guaranteed test? No, but it can tell you. Now, if you're doing an inspection and you go in and you, 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 know, you run your fingernail across there and you think it's a crack, start looking underneath the countertop. See if there's shims under there. See if there's any gaps on the countertop. You know, look to where the crack is being created. Is it in a corner? Is it is it is it coming off an edge? Is it is it uh, along this along the sink where the um where the fixtures are? Uh a a no-no, a big no-no, or not sink, I'm sorry, a cooktop cutouts where you cut out the cooktop and you leave a right angle cut. Uh those right angles are terrible and they're notorious for for uh, for cracking, I would never use a right angle cut. That should be a radius. Take a core bit and radius those. Um, so I mean, you look at that. Look look at evidence of where the suspected crack is emanating from, and see. And, and it helps you determine or not whether or not it is a true crack or it's just simply a natural in, natural inclusion. All right. The other questions I got, I, I'm really going to skip over, other than to mention. Um, I get a lot of these. I get a lot of questions on staining. And, you know, I think I, I don't know if I've done a show on this or not. I probably have on stains and the poulticing technique. But uh, basically what I would suggest you do with any type of stain is first identify it, uh, know what the stain is, and then go to a stain chart and determine what you're going to use to remove it, uh, what chemical you're going to use and, and your poultice uh, to actually remove it. All right, I'm about ready for some war stories, and if you happen to have one, I'd be more than happy to listen to yours as well. Or you can call in with a question, and the number one more time is 323-870-3968 if you're listening now, which is, means you're listening live. Um, if not, you can uh, send me an email after the show, and I'd be more than happy to address your question during the next show, which is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Uh, or again, my instant message on Facebook would be Stone Forensics, and uh, I'll just type it in there. I'd be more than happy to answer that. All right, someone asked me to uh, to talk about some of my war stories, and I know... I've told a lot of them during the past shows, uh, but I'm, I'm sitting here thinking today right before the show, and I thought well, it might be an interesting one. It was my very, very, very first job that I ever did as a restoration contractor. And we're talking 40 years ago. Uh, I mean, there was 40 years ago when I got started in this business, first of all, diamonds weren't around. Diamonds weren't being used. We were using what we call Frankfurt bricks, um, and I'll describe that in a second 
And, uh, you know, machinery we had, we had the old Achille machines. Uh, and we also had the standard, you know, janitorial buffers, none of the planetary head machines that we have today. So it was, you know, the same principle as we use today. It's basically a, you know, a smoothing and polishing process, but it, it was a little bit more difficult. Well, I ended up, you know, getting into the business purely by accident. I think I may have told this story uh, many times before, but for those of you that haven't heard it, uh, I, my mom had a small cleaning service and ran into a, a marble issue uh, in a building she was cleaning. And she calls me up and said she had some stains on this white marble. And what do I do about it? And I said, I don't know. I was working for the University of Florida at the time, uh, working in a lab, I'm a, a scientist. And uh, I didn't know the first thing about stone 40 years ago, but I'm a scientist. So I said, I'll go to the library and I'll figure out what's going on. And lo and behold, I go to the library and I couldn't find a damn thing on stone restoration, on stone polishing, on stain removal, on fabrication, nothing. The only thing I could find was basically a geology book. So long story short, I end up in the business. I, you know, put down a marble and granite floor pieces in my garage, uh, bought a machine and started practicing. And my very, very first job, and you, you guys in the restoration business will love this, was Negro Marquina. And it was a small lawyer's office. And it was probably maybe, I don't know, 200 square feet, maybe maybe 300 square feet, if I remember correctly. Well, I get on the job, and uh, I start out with six Frankfurt bricks under a standard swing machine. And for those of you that don't know what Frankfurt bricks are, they're, they're a thick brick that fits into a, a little locking uh, plastic, uh, whatever you want to call it, slot on the bottom of your drive plate. And they work like sandpaper. And what I mean by they work like sandpaper is as you grind, the material just sloughs off, not the stone material. That obviously sloughs off, but the actual brick breaks down. So now you have all this grit all over the place. So you can imagine what it was like back in the day. You know, a diamond today is a fixed diamond. A diamond doesn't, it shouldn't, doesn't come off. So you usually don't have grit floating around with bricks. You did. So you had to make sure that you know, you were working in almost operating room procedures. You would grind the floor with, let's say you started with a 60 grit brick, grind it, and then you would vacuum it up. And not only would you have to vacuum up the floor and make sure all the grit was off, now you had to take the machine outside, hose the bottom of the machine off because, you know, as you're grinding, that slurry doesn't only go on the floor, it also goes up into your machine. So what you wouldn't want happening is that a higher grit, say a 400 grit, some of that 60 grit to fall down and scratch, which believe me, happened many, many, many times. Uh, as a matter of fact, we used to be so paranoid about the grit that we would actually take a pan of water and set it at the door and we would actually wash our boots off before we walked on the floor every time that we would have to go out of the area that we were working in. So you can imagine back in the day, especially you guys that are new in the industry and have never used bricks, it was a, it was a meticulous a meticulous process. But anyway, the war story, that, that's part of the war story, actually. But the real war story was I couldn't get this floor to home properly. I kept getting scratches. So I'm looking at all this grit that's going around. And I, I, I'm doing everything that I possibly can to figure out. And it, remember, this is my very, very first job. So I didn't know a lot. I didn't know about a thing called, and you ready to laugh, gentlemen, sanded grout. Uh, if I looked at the grout joints, the grout joints were about a quarter of an inch wide. Today, I know if they're a quarter of an inch wide, we're probably dealing with sanded grout. Well, what I was doing in this case is I was pulling sand 
out from the grout and it was re-scratching the floor. Well, lo and behold, I think I spent three days, three nights on this particular floor. And again, we're talking 150, 200 square feet today. I can do that in, you know, less than a half a day. Uh, but uh, back then I was learning. There was very few people to call uh, to say, you know, what am I doing wrong? There was no training. Uh, there wasn't many people in the industry where I was in central Florida at the time. Uh, actually, there was nobody there. Uh, I was the only game, only game in town, which made it quite nice years later because uh, as you know, Disney grew and hotels got put up. I ended up doing a, a pretty good, a pretty good, pretty good business, but that's another story. So uh, I'm sure you guys have similar, similar stories to that. The second story, war story I had is not necessarily a lesson in uh, what I did or did not do wrong. Uh, more of a business um, lesson, I guess you would call it. And this was a couple years later. It happened to be in the, a similar area. Actually, it was downtown Orlando at the time. And I got a call from this uh, property manager that said they had some vanity tops, some black absolute vanity tops. And I'm sorry, not black absolute, Negro Marquina vanity tops. And uh, they needed them honed and polished. They were pretty bad. So, you know, I asked him, uh, you know, how many he had. There was like 50 of them. And he, he, I said, yeah, we could probably do the job. Would you like a bid? He goes, well, what I would like is I would like you to come in and do a demo for me. And then if I like the demo, we'll give you the remaining 49 vanity tops. So I figured, well, hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So I go in and I, I do the one thing. And it was, it, this vanity top was a mess. It was scratched. It was, it, it was terrible. Anyway, go in one night by myself, did the job, came out perfect, was beautiful. Give the property manager a call the next day. And he said, oh man, he said, that looked really, really good. He said, let me bring this to our, to the board, to his boss, whatever it was. And I'll get back with you in the next couple of days. So, I waited probably a week and after a week I hadn't heard from him. So I called him again and couldn't get, couldn't get to him. I think in about another two or three weeks went by, finally got a hold of him. And he said, Oh, he said, you know what? He said, I brought it to the board and they've decided that uh, they don't have it in the budget uh, this time of year, but next year we're definitely going to do it. So I said, okay, fine. Make a mental note of that, put it in the file, go on my, my merry way. I would say about six to nine months later, I get a telephone call from the same individual that says to me, hey, uh, I know last time you came in and you did a demo for us. He said, and we're now ready to have the rest of these done. Uh, can you come in and give us another demo? You guys know where this is going. So like a fool, I said, sure, no problem. So I just happened to hire a new guy. And I said, yeah, this would be a great training opportunity. So I grab him and I bring him, you know, on the job site. And I'm showing him how to tape up, how to protect everything. And we get started. And he, he's, this is his first job. He's new at it. And he's getting a little frustrated with what he's working with. And I said, hey, let's just stop a minute, take a breather. You know, we got time. Let's go down to the break room, you know, grab a soda and just chill for a minute. So that's what we did. The room was three of my competitors. Now, you remember, this is a couple of years later, so I had competitors now in town. Three of my competitors. 
And we were all kind of friendly. We knew who each other were. And we said, hey, and all of a sudden, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm doing a demo in, you know, room number such and such a, a, a marble vanity top. Well, everybody was doing demos. Well, what I gathered what was happening, this guy was calling anybody he could that would polish vanity tops. And every six months getting a free, taking his worst ones and getting a free one done for nothing. So this goes in my mental notes as to if this guy calls again, uh, there's going to be no free demos. So here's the lesson I learned. And I kid you not, a year later, he has enough nerve to call back. Uh, he says, uh, you know, we need another demo. I'm sorry for the last time. Whatever the, the case was, it's 40 years ago. So I can't remember the exact conversation. But I said, sure, I'd be more than happy to give you a free demo. It's going to cost you $500. And he goes, excuse me? I says, yeah, my free demo is $500. And he says to me, well, how is it free if I have to pay $500? I says, hey, listen, it's simple. I come in, I do the demo, you pay me $500. When you give me the rest of the vanity tops, the rest of the 49 vanity tops, I'll credit you that $500, and that vanity was free. I never heard from him again. So uh, all I'm saying, folks, is, you know, you, you that, that was my other war story. Um, you got to be real careful uh, sometimes. Uh, you know, the customer is not always right, and especially when it comes to commercial. And I've had some issues with, with some – I remember one residential lady, she kept calling me, wasting my time for – it must have been three years. She would call every six months and have me come in, look at her floor, give her an estimate, and never get the work done. And three years go by, uh, she, she's finally stopped calling. I don't know if someone else did the work or she probably sold the house and moved. But uh, uh, I had one guy one time, another quick war story, that wanted me to teach him how to do the work so he could do it himself. And this wasn't your average Joe. This was a very wealthy individual, and I couldn't believe he wanted to do this himself. But, you know. I turned that job down as well. So those those are my some of my war stories. I, I don't think I've told those before on the one episode. I uh, actually did a whole show on on some of those uh, some of those projects. If you want to go back and, and listen on the archives. Uh, in the meantime, uh, let me go ahead and give the phone number out. You can. Uh, Give me a, a call here if you have one last question before I wrap things up here. The phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. If you have a question, go feel free to call in. Again, you can send me an email to fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. I'm checking my email right now. And I don't see one or go ahead and uh, you can instant message me on my Facebook page as well. Again, search for uh, stone, stone forensics. I did have one other question come in from a lady uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and I ended up not getting the project because she didn't want to pay my fee. <laughs> but it was a porcelain floor that she was having installed that was wearing uh, as soon as it was installed. And, you know, this is something you like, you, first thing you say to yourself, okay, porcelain tile, that's pretty hardy. I mean, it's it's difficult to scratch. So why is it scratching? You know, someone walking across it with, you know, grit on their feet or, you know, or whatever. And the next thing she told me is she paid like a buck something a square foot for it, and it came out of China. Uh, and at that point, I said, well, 
enough said. <laughs> it, it's probably poor, very poor quality porcelain, or it's probably not porcelain tile at all. Uh, and my guess would have been it, it may have been something totally different than porcelain tile or, you know, a poorly fired porcelain tile. And, you know, when it comes to product liability, um, I mean, I, I have seen situations where tile was was at fault. Um, you know, 90% of the time when I do my inspections, it's it's an installation issue, a substrate issue, a maintenance issue, something being done to the tile. Um, rarely is it a, a materials issue. You know, rarely is it a, a bad batch of thin set or mud, a bad batch of grout, uh, or a bad a bad tile. And that's especially true with uh, with stone surfaces, as you uh, you guys that have attended and will be attending my my uh, my my class will know. Uh, one of my pet peeves is uh, stone quality. When someone says I was sold a poor quality stone, we're gonna we're actually gonna get into that. Um, but anyway, with, with those type of cases, it's, uh, you know, it's difficult. I mean, there are tests that can be done. There are laboratory tests that can be done, uh, to, to look at certain aspects of, of tile. Uh, but the problem is nine times out of 10, uh, especially in a residential situation, people aren't willing to pay, you know, especially when they're paying a dollar something a square foot, uh, for, for the actual product itself. And, who knows how much she was uh, she was paying to have it installed. It was in South Florida, which is, uh, or, you know, to, to put it bluntly, there's a lot of hacks down in that that area that are probably doing installations for a dollar a square foot. So, you know, it, it's it's just one of those one of those things. All right, uh, one last time, the number is three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. If you're listening to this on the podcast and not live. You can call that number all you want. Not going to get anybody, uh, but you can go ahead and send me an email to fhuston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Uh, let me wrap it up one more time. As I said, in the beginning of the show here, um, my stone inspection and troubleshooting seminar is coming up uh, in January, uh, almost full. Uh, so if you want to get in, I would recommend that you contact me either via my email, uh, send me a, a message on, on Facebook, if you will, which is Stone Forensics. Uh, feel free to go ahead and join my uh, Stone Forensic Inspection Forum uh, on there, and you can get to see what we post on there every Friday for, fa- for Failure Friday. So uh, if I have no other questions, I think I'm going to wrap things up for this week, and uh, I will see everybody uh, next week on Wednesday. And everybody have a great weekend. See you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.